Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. And let me start the show by saying it's all over. Say goodbye to the NBA preseason. The Jazz played their last preseason game. Now we gear up for the regular season. Wednesday, uh, it'll be uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Utah Jazz, the first of 82. One last look at the preseason. Here's an abbreviated version of the best of the Jazz postgame show. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. The Jazz fell to the Portland Trailblazers last night, 126-118. They finished the preseason 1-4. and four, And now uh, regular season basketball starts next week at Vivint Smart Home Arena with game number one against Oklahoma City as uh, we will get this season underway. Once again, the Jazz struggled a little bit defensively, giving up another uh, another. The game in the 120s, uh, 126 to Portland, but they did have their moments offensively and uh, looked good at times. We're going to let you hear a little post-game locker room sound. Let's get things started now with Rudy Gobert. Hey, thanks so much, Jake. Rudy, Coach Snyder said uh, it's always important to just be honest about the assessment of the preseason and now get ready for the regular season. When you think of the most honest truths about this team here so far, what are the biggest things that jump out to you? Gotta get better. You know, it's what it's about. You know, whether you you get four wins in preseason or or whether you get one. You know, it's always the same. And uh, you know, every year you got every season you have some ups and down. And uh, you know, the most important thing is for us to to keep working, and keep believing in ourselves, keep believing in our strength, keep believing, keep believing in who we are. And I think we. We're going to be fine. When you evaluate the entire preseason, what do you like about what has processed so far and, and what are the things you want to see improved before next Wednesday? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, we're a defensive team, so hopefully we give a less than 100 points, you know, when the season starts. I think we, the, the, the good thing, you know, is that it hurts, you know, when, like, we, we, we give up that many points, you know, and... To, to other teams that we played against, you know, it hurts, and we feel like we, you know, we we gotta keep improving, and that's that's a good thing. You know, we we get we take pride in it, and as long as we take pride in it, we're gonna do whatever it takes to, you know, to keep getting better. When you talk about that improvement defensively, where does it start? What's the first step to that as you get ready for the first game of the regular season? To me, it's uh, having that in that identity, you know that. That grind, that mindset, that we gotta hit first. We don't want to be. We get punched in the face every time in the first minute, and then we have to react. We gotta be the team that you know that that impose our will on that end, and you know, and then keep doing what we do. You know, there's no magic. You know, we just gotta do everything we do a little better. And uh, every time things go wrong, we don't have to. We shouldn't doubt about what we do. You know, we just gotta do everything we do a little better, which is protect the rim, protect the strip online, and uh, and be a physical team. When you talk about punching first and being that team to do that, when you play with new players, is it kind of a variable thing on when they see it with the same definition that you do? What do you say when you play the same definition? Yeah, when you're playing with a new player, is it is I mean, it? It's it's a process. You know, I mean, we have some guys that have been playing the same team for how many years? 10 for my 10 13 years I don't even know how many but I wasn't even in the league yet and uh, all of a sudden you got a, a few weeks uh, with a new team and you got to change your habits and you know and we all have like I was in the national team I said the same thing yes two days ago you know I was in the national team we 
like those habits, it takes a little while. But the most important thing is that we we have that drive and we have that pride, and I think we do have that. So That was Rudy Gobert. He had 13 points, 15 rebounds, and two block shots against the Blazers, although not his normal efficient self from the field, 4 of 11. He was 5 of 10 from the line. Let's let you now hear from Jazz point guard Mike Conley. Man, he's uh, he's done well with the, the, the few games he's been able to play. Obviously, um, we're trying to bring him along as, as quickly as possible, and uh, we're just preaching to him just to continue to, to affect the game in ways that you know his abilities allowed him to. He's a big guard. He can get to the rim and make plays, and I think he's just, just like all of us, are trying to figure it out as we go and, and um, soak up as much as we can in the short period of time before regular season. He's, he's done a great job. Rudy talked a lot about identity as one of those things. You feel like mentally this team has that identity you want to have, especially on the defensive end. Now it's just a matter of really putting it on the court and having it be the way that you envision. Yeah, and I think that's partially of the the you know what's going on here is we have so many like-minded guys on the defensive end that we're all like, oh, it's, it's going to click. We're going to do it. We're going to get it going. And and for whatever reason, we're not all doing it at the same time. Um, and we just need to, you know, be accountable on that end. We need to look in the mirror and say, hey, it's time for each individual guy to do their job. And, and collectively, we can do it more consistently. So um, I think that, you know, it's good that we had these kind of games going into the regular season. It, it, it's almost like a wake-up call. You know, allows us to, to not not understand that this, everything's sweet and it's going to be easy. we got to go work for it. And, um, and it's, it puts us in a good spot. We're just going to go and work for the next week and get ready to go. When you were in the offseason, you know, you're going to play for this team, and you kind of envision playing defense for this team, and now that you've had just a small dose of being on the court, what has either been more difficult or, or much different than you maybe originally thought? Uh, in my case, it's, it's trying to break habits from 12 years in the same kind of system with the same big men, you know. So I've been so used to, you know, different schemes and stuff like that that, you know, I've been, a, you know, the culprit a lot of times on defense of not being in the right position because I'm, you know, thinking about a something that was two years ago or last year. So just trying to get used to the calls, trying to get used to even even Rudy calling them. You know, I'm used to a Spanish, you know, Mark Gasol, you know, his 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 American, you know, accent. Now I'm, I got Rudy's American accent and trying to get under, you know, understanding everything he's saying. And um, and I think it's just going to come. Like it really is. I thought tonight that. We did. We had spurts where we played really, really good defensively, and just you know, and seeing it, I think more the more we see it, the more we believe that we can do it. I think it's it's going to come. So you talk about breaking habits. You still had really good habits in Memphis, right? Like those, <laughs> they're just different habits, yeah. different productive. Yeah, different, different, different schemes. You know, different mindsets on the defensive end, and um, here is different because we, we put a lot on Rudy we put a lot on Rudy to, to protect the paint so like we don't have to help as much uh, off of shooters and off of um, you know drivers and stuff like that so I'm so used to packing the paint and, and working my way out um, but now I'm just trying to find that fine line of being in help being able to get back to my man um, and understanding that you know like Rudy's telling me all the time he's like if they drive by you just let them go and I'll you know I'll meet him at the rim and you block my guy out and you know so I'm trying to get used to all that and uh, I think, like I said, the more we play together, you know, it's still so early that we have just so much more room to improve. It, it, I'm, I'm still very excited about it. And you're also thinking, yeah, I'm supposed to let my guy go? Wait, wait a second, how does that work? Yeah, right, so. Right. so I'm so used to, you know, thinking about stopping the ball and getting it out of the hand and, you know, 
moving, getting the ball moving, that it's just different, you know, different mindsets, different players, different personnel. So, um, like I said, we're just all just trying to figure it out, and we will. You know, this week's going to be really good for us. That was Mike Conley. Mike had 20 points last night on 6 of 13 shooting. He was 1 of 5 from downtown. He had just two assists and two rebounds. He did have a steal as well. I thought it was interesting to hear Mike talk about uh, breaking some old habits, learning some new stuff. Talked about how the the team has kind of the same mindset defensively, but they need to get all uh, performing at the very same time. So I thought some really insightful comments from uh, from Mike Conley. Your final last night, the Blazers beat the Jazz 126 to 118 next jazz game will will count regular season starts wednesday against oklahoma city and you'll be able to hear it all as always right here on 97.5 and 1280 the zone all right there's the best of the jazz post game show when we come back college football riley nelson byu analyst joins us next stay with us Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. Time to bring in Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst. Riley, good morning. Good morning. So uh, I ended our call last week by, you know, thanking PK for being the family therapist for Cougar Nation. I bet he's been working overtime this last week. <laughs> Nonstop, man. Putting in the extra hours. It's been a real grind. I know I know, I have, and I am not qualified nor willing to, to play that role, but... Uh, it's been a it's been an interesting week as as the Cougars sit at the half point of the season. Do you get more complaints or do you get people more people with suggestions about what needs to be done? Yes, yeah, suggestions, but even just searching for answers. I think you know BYU's been in independence long enough, and people have become aware enough of the dynamics around the program that that have set them up for the challenges that they're experiencing and. And people are willing enough to acknowledge those and not think that they have the answers. And it's kind of more just searching, they're just searching for whatever answer or however we can, you know, fix this state of limbo or, or you know, some would say even purgatory that, that the BYU football program finds themselves in. And I kind of, my kind of knee jerk reaction is to take the same approach you have to take as a player. Which is you have the only way you turn this around is week by week, practice by practice, getting better and better, and then hopefully these close losses turn into close wins, and then as you pile up close wins, they turn into more convincing wins. But it's been a it's been a few years, you know, a few too many seasons for people. They're starting to maybe lose sight of a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it seems like man, there's a dark cloud, and that dark cloud has been there since the day uh, that they announced Utah was going to the Pac-12. And there's been some good moments. But you take just this year, for example. There's been some good moments this year, but there's just some pull-your-head-out, or your hair out, I mean, uh, just moments that just drive you nuts. And then they've had some injuries. It's like a slew of things that can't transpire against them have and then they walk away with a couple of losses that are just so frustrating I'm just wondering how much of it is what's 
the attitude that's in the program, do you wonder, do the guys start to think, oh, no, here we go again? Yeah, that was uh, in my post-game comments. Uh, we were, as you can imagine, Kalani was trying to get out of there. and or, Post-game, not comments, but my one post-game question I had to Coach Shitake is, you know, they were trying to get out of there and with, for the long flight home, but it was, how do you combat this becoming acceptable or guys giving into this? Because I've, I've been on teams over the course of my entire football career, you know, from Little League, um, on up where you experience some adversity, those excuses give you a pretty easy justification to just kind of become apathetic to to your fate. And you still go out and you still practice, but you're, you're kind of going through the motions and it's emotionless. And then when you do experience tough losses like they do on Saturday, it it doesn't hurt, it doesn't sting. You're just kind of like, you just kind of accept it. And that is an extremely dangerous place to be in as a football team for an individual season but also as a program and you you are right i that is there i mean that's there that's there for anybody is that complacency and that acceptance of mediocrity and it can set in quickly only after a couple of games it takes some really strong leadership from uh you know up and down the stack from the administration to the coaches to of course you know the individual players in the uh, in the locker room, but also in the individual position groups. So it's something if if I were down there, I'd be extremely leery of and trying to, you know, fight against every day, every practice, every rep, because once that sets in, it's really hard to to turn it back around and get guys believing again. Riley Nelson joining us. You know, it's uh, there's a lot of things to discuss here, but when I look at Kalani's four years and I look at quarterback injuries – the wins follow them pretty precisely. In 2016, he played one quarterback all year, and they won nine games. The next year, they played four quarterbacks, and they won four. This year, they're playing three. It looks like they're on track for, I don't know how it'll shake out, five, six, seven wins, somewhere in there. And last year, they played a couple quarterbacks, and they were seven and six. Is it really as simple as that key position, that leader, keeping him healthy? Because it seems like the more quarterbacks they play, every time they play another quarterback, it costs them another win or two. No question. I definitely think that. I mean, and you mentioned in the Kalani era, and it was going on in the in the Bronco era before that for for a number of years. Um, you know, to, I probably started that trend as far as uh, getting injured, but uh, you know, Taysom obviously dealt with his his share. That's been well publicized, and that spilled or that straddled the Bronco and the Kalani era, and it's been a constant struggle for Kalani. But you know, I, I look at Zach Wilson's injury and it's really hard i look at zach's and i think all right how could that have been avoided well in the nfl when a guy that has a hundred that is a hundred million dollar asset doesn't go and chase down maybe chase down a a guy on an interception everybody kind of gets it because money is what talks in the nfl but in college football if you have a quarterback who does not chase down uh, a defender and try and make a play after he throws an interception. That's that's a guy who is not probably not fit to lead your team and and will lose the confidence of his teammates. So, all right, Zach did what he was supposed to do. He chased down a guy after an interception. He made a tackle. The guy happened to land wrong on his thumb. So I I don't know what you do there. And then Jaron Hall got put in a tough situation in that he needed to be out there, kind of exposing himself to 
to some hits in order for that offense to be successful because that was the only thing they had going for him and keeping for keeping him in the game were his legs. So, um, you know, and, and we can kind of go through the previous injuries. Tanner Mangum was probably a combination of uh, the O-line probably wasn't up to snuff, and he's a little bit less of a mobile guy, a little bit more of a sitting target for defenses. So it's a little bit different formula depending on who the player is out there. But uh, you're, I think you're right, DJ. If they can figure that out, that'll be the first thing. Now, that won't so- solve all their problems. They're still bottom 10 in rush defense. And, I mean, you look at that, the second half of that South Florida game, it wasn't even a thought in the second half for South Florida to come out and throw the football. And when when teams can get one-dimensional, it's so funny because most defenses are like, ah, we'll force them to be one-dimensional, and, and like that's a good thing. Well, offenses against this BYU defense have been able to be one-dimensional and be successful, and and that uh, you know is, is a serious issue. So, But shoring up the quarterback injuries, getting more consistency out of that position, and, and when I say consistency, I mean health, right? Keeping that position more healthy is one minor step, but the the issues that are that have produced this two and four record thus far the season extend beyond that. And in these two losses, I think they've been outscored twenty seven to zero in the fourth quarter. So you've got some defensive issues, but the offense has moved the ball and has an opportunity to get down there and then can't punch it in. So, you know, we can complain about all these other different things, but they were in position right there to get the job done, and they're not. What needs to happen to be able to get that job done and not have these disastrous fourth quarters? I would try and find a psychologist. My my knee-jerk reaction would be to tattoo the word finish on everybody's forehead. Because you just mentioned two aspects of finishing that are not getting done. They're not finishing football games because they're not performing in the in the fourth quarter. And you break it down even further to that, they're having trouble finishing drives. Really on both sides of the ball, you mentioned that the struggles in the red zone or the scoring zone when they get you know inside the 30 and that's kind of field goal range for them. So the 20 is bad, inside the 30 is bad as well. But on the other side of the ball, teams have been able to, once they get in there, have been able to punch it in at a very successful clip. So however you, whatever mind tricks you got to do or to get that concept of of finishing, um, finishing drives, finishing quarters, finishing halves, and finishing football games, that is priority number one. And, and, you know, that's, that's, that's a hard thing to do because that's something that takes, uh, you know, we talked about uh, losing can become a habit. Well, winning can become a habit and finishing can become a habit. When you are not comfortable with how to finish games in the fourth quarter, there's on teams that have, like you said, the last two games, 27 to 0 or 27 to nothing scoring in the fourth quarter, you go into this next game against Boise and let's say it's close in the fourth, the fourth quarter. The psychology is, unless you do things to prevent it, the psychology is pretty much everybody's waiting around at the first sign of trouble. And when the first sign of trouble sets in, maybe it's a three and out, maybe it's a turnover, maybe it's giving up a big play. It's the entire, even though no one will admit it, admit it overtly or admit it consciously, the subconscious thought is, oh, here we go again. So they've got a lot of work to do on the field. They've got a lot of work to do, I think, between the ears there but but the nice thing is they've got six more opportunities to do that and turn it around i am not a doomsdayer i do think you know they still have uh, um it's going to be tough these first couple of games obviously with boise and 
and uh, Utah State, and then obviously San Diego State looming. That's kind of the creme de la creme of the Mountain West. But those are teams that BYU, I think, has the talent in spite of injuries to at least compete with. And if they can get over some of these, I, I call them, you know, mental toughness issues, uh, then I think they can have a little bit more success than they did in the first half. So I'm curious what you think, and I, I, I think we know where you're going with this. Boise State's got two running backs who are averaging five yards a carry or more. Are the Broncos just going to come in, and they looks like they got a quarterback injury of their own, and just study diet of the run game right from the get-go until BYU figures it out? Most definitely. You know, I uh, I couldn't st- – we were on the East Coast, and the Boise game was a 10-30 start over there, and I had an early flight, so I didn't stay up to watch most of it. But when I got up the next morning and I was checking through, I saw Bachmeyer got hurt. My first thought was like, okay, well, you never want to see a player hurt, but this opens up an opportunity for, B- for BYU. And then you kind of look down and you see the two running backs, and you're, you think, oh man, it's you know it's not going to put much pressure on the backup quarterback. Boise's going to come in with a steady diet of the run, and then you look, and the backup quarterback came in, finished the game, completing eighty percent of his passes, and he threw for three touchdowns. And so there might not be that much of a drop off from number one to number two there at the quarterback position. But yeah, I mean, similar to South Florida, Boise's in a position where they may have an unproven uh, backup quarterback, but he was a guy who produced probably has a better skill set than the team from South Florida. But both Toledo and South Florida completely scrapped any attempt at a passing game in the second halves of both of those football games and was able to come from behind and win them both. So I don't imagine Boise's going to try and do anything cute or anything different. They're going to come in, start the game off, hitting it, hitting them in the mouth and running it down their throat, and they're going to, I think, try and continue to do that for all four quarters. If I'm, if I'm BYU and I'm on that team and I'm on that defense, you know that's happening, so what are you going to do to prevent it? What are you going to do to change the narrative around you? What are you going to do to salvage your pride, salvage your uh, you know, standing as a football player and not allow Boise to do that and force them to do something different. Because if you allow them to do the same, it's going to get ugly and get ugly quickly. Do you think that the administration and even beyond that to the folks who run the school in Salt Lake need to make a greater commitment, whatever that entails, to BYU winning football games? Uh I do, but uh, similar. Uh, I'm going to do another disclaimer. My disclaimer last week was I'm not in the I'm not in the locker room, so I don't know everything that's going on between the players and coaches. Similar disclaimer here. I don't know all the dynamics in play. I mean, I hear things like like all of us do about how the relationship between the church and the university works, and the relationship between the university and the athletic department work, and all those things. But it's all hearsay. Um, it's uh, I think everybody's pretty tight-lipped. It's a private university. They don't they don't disclose much. They don't have to disclose much. But the short answer to your question is is yes. As you look around the landscape of college football, if they want to be successful at the level that they've been successful in the past, it's going to require greater commitment because it is a it is an utter arms race. And BYU is is fall, in the state of college football from everything from what you're from coaching staffs and what you're paying them from the resources that you allocate to recruiting to the facilities that you use to uh, attract and retain those recruits once once they're on to ancillary services like nutritionists and and special you know weight training and speed coaches and BYU ha- has all those things but they kind of have the minimum acceptable standard of all those things and the teams that are having successful or that are having success are going uh, above and beyond 
And so I, there does need to be a, a greater commitment. Now, actually um, putting that forth, uh, I, I don't know what that entails, and I also don't know what the likelihood uh, of it is. Riley Nelson joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So at the end of the day, if we end this up where you started, uh, what, is the, what do you tell all these people when you're providing the therapy sessions? If you boil it down into a nutshell, how do you summarize it? Yeah, that first of all, not all is lost for this season. I mean, you can acknowledge. First of all, I think you do have to acknowledge and be honest about what's happened, and that's that from the guys that were slated as starters uh, coming through fall camp, the the brutal, honest uh, question of it is that we're missing six or seven of those guys, including you know key positions like quarterback and running back. So uh, there's that, but you can't expect it. You can't um, use that as an excuse. The team, I tell the team's still being competitive. If they can get out of their own way in a couple aspects of the game, these are close games. It's not like they're getting dominated week after week. And so there's still hope for them to turn it around. And then my, my thing is just you gotta you gotta compartmentalize, right? Take it game by game, or just like get to the end of the season and don't, and, and then see what happens. Because none of us as fans and followers are in control of what happens. Who, you know, who keeps their who keeps their job at any level. When I say that, I mean from, you know, from the nose tackles, linebackers, running backs, wide receivers, uh, and all the way up the stack within the program and the administration. You, you, as much as it, I, I guess it's fun, and we all need something to talk about on Twitter and spe- and speculate <laughs> about. But I, I'm a guy that that's kind of some wasted energy because circumstances can change so much from week to week. I mean, look at this team two weeks ago. Everybody's feeling really good about themselves. Actually, three because there was a buy in there. But, um, you know, hey, we're two and two. Everybody thought we were going to go like one and three or oh and four. So I'm feeling pretty good. And now here we are that, man, BYU should get rid of the program because we're never going to be competitive again. And just try and avoid hysteria and take it week to week. And then ultimately, the fans that get really disheartened, I say, well, why are you a fan? Are you a Fairweather fan who only likes them if they're going to be, you know, winning every year and, and gaining national notoriety? Or can you be a fan who sticks with it because you're invested in the university, invested in the players, and are going to support them come rain or shine? So that's kind of my little that, – that, and look, I don't charge much for that. <laughs> I, my, 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 my rate's only like 100 125 an hour, depending. And, uh, it, you know, if so, take that for what it's worth. Well, as we end this interview, Riley, in recognition of the Democratic debates, what do you think of George Bush's relationship with Ellen? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a great thing. I, I, I don't know. I was way more, as a Packers fan, I was way more interested and invested on what was going on between the sidelines <laughs> than, than all that hullabaloo. So I was glad Aaron Jones was able to, to get that and I by the way for those who watch the Monday Night Football game I think the NFL's out there just handing the Packers wins you can't have your hands up and around so first of all it was great to see Aaron Jones and the run game and all that get going against the Cowboys and then close win against Lions which I think was deserved others would say was handed to him you can't have your hands up around the face or neck of a player and I know he was grabbing his shoulder pads but his hand was in against his neck, and any t- that's playing with fire. So it was good to see Aaron and the boys. Jamal came back from injury, had a nice breakout, and uh, so the Packers were back on track. And if George and Ellen want to be up in the booth 
at laughing, eating popcorn, watching the Packers take it to the Cowboys at home, I'm all for it. <laughs> Me too. As long as the Packers take it to the Cowboys. <laughs> all right, Riley, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Have a good day, guys. All right, it's time for the life of Riley. That was Riley Nelson. Next up, Riley Jensen. College Football Insider, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Join Hans and Scotty Friday, October 18th. From noon to 3, Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic will be live in studio to discuss an FDA-approved breakthrough and permanent solution for ED with no pills, surgery, or needles. Time now to welcome in Riley Jensen, our college football insider. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Good morning, fellas. What's going on? Well, we're confused. That's not surprising. Don't be, no one's don't surprised. be confused. Okay. You can spell it out for us. You can jump in with whatever game you want. Um, I don't think any of the point spreads Vegas provided for any of the teams were really close to what I would have provided. And so I'm curious. I thought BYU uh, would be an underdog, and they are at five and a half. But the way they've been having teams run the ball on them and Boise State undefeated, I thought that could have been a 10-point spread easy. The Utes, I thought, were going to be about a 7-point spread, but it ends up starting at 12.5 and and then getting bet up to 13.5. And And your Aggies, 22-point favorites. I thought a couple touchdowns. Nevada's 4-2. They have been blown off the field twice. So uh, any of those surprise you? Jump in wherever you want. The game that uh, appeals to you most or stunned you the most? I think think – the Utah State one is the biggest surprise to me. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of things that Vegas knows that I don't know. They know about injuries. They know about a lot of things that I somehow I don't seem to be privy to. But uh, And then I thought the Utah spread is a little bit is a little bit high. But, gosh, you know, after the way, after the way Tyler Huntley's been playing, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess it's not that surprising because – I mean, this guy is taking care of the football. He's shredding defenses. He's playing authentically. Man, it's been it's been really fun for me to watch his progression under Andy Ludwig. I think it's been fantastic. Can and then he, I'm a little. Uh, I, I guess I'm surprised about all of the all all of the spreads a little bit. I, I thought Boise's would be a little bit higher. Is there really, practically speaking, any way Huntley could play better? I mean, not really, guys. I mean, look, if, if if you would have told me that Huntley would be playing the best out of the three quarterbacks in the state this year, I, I probably would have been like, okay, well, what happens? I'd have lots of follow-up questions. There's no question he's playing the best football in the state. He's playing up there with the best players in the country, taking care of the football. I mean, I mean this is like – this is kind of like – the dreams of Kyle Whittingham where a quarterback plays efficiently and doesn't throw interceptions, right? Yeah. Like this is like the best case scenario for Kyle. But I think there's two things that have happened. One thing that is really important 
understand about Andy Ludwig is he's very buttoned down in as far as where your eyes are supposed to be, who you're supposed to be reading, and and where you're supposed to throw the ball. And I I think that this is probably the first time that Tyler Huntley has felt this kind of confidence in an offensive coordinator where there's there's clear concepts and there's clear ideas about where he's supposed to go with the ball. And I think it's allowed him to play authentically, which to me means he runs the ball when he's supposed to run the ball. He throws it when he's supposed to throw it. And he's not fearful now about throwing the ball to the read because he knows he's making the right read. And if you miss the read, no big deal, right? But if, you, but if, you, if you're going to the right read all the time and you're accurate, you're going to have big games like he did on, on Saturday. So do you think he's making the receivers better? Are the receivers making themselves better and helping him out? And I'll go to one play in particular. I think if he throws that touchdown pass to Samson Nakua a year or two ago, and not just to Nakua but to any Utah receiver, I'm not sure they make that play. He threw it. It was a little safer. It was outside. It required the guy to twist and go get it, but it kept it away from the defensive back. It's fourth down. It's a big play in the game. It's a touchdown. It's kind of a backbreaker there. And Nakua made the catch, and it was a good catch. In the past, would someone have made that catch for him, even if he threw the ball that well? Well, I, I think the wide receivers are in touch, too. I mean, if you're talking about Nakua from two years ago compared to now, I think, I think he's, he's a different maturity. And, and, you know, the other thing that starts to happen when the offense is, is humming along efficiently is you feel like, as a wide receiver, hey, if he's throwing to me, it's because I'm open. You know, and sometimes receivers can't see behind themselves. Generally, all receivers think they're wide open all the time. <laughs> but, but the truth is, is some of them know that they're not wide open all the time. They just want a chance to go make a play. But when when you when when you're talking about the play that you're talking about, Nakua knows that he's open. He knows that he's throwing it to a place where he's not going to get blown up. He catches the ball because he's like, I can dive here, and there's not going to be a problem. And I thought it was, I just, I, I am so, I, I, I'm not shocked. The word's not shocked because I've always thought Tyler Huntley had arm talent and I always thought that he had um, really, really good feet. I just felt like he was always confused about when he was supposed to use his feet and when he was supposed to use his arm. And the clarity that Andy Ludwig has brought to him has just been phenomenal to watch. And it's really fun to watch Tyler Huntley become the quarterback that I think everybody thought he could be and that everybody hoped he could be because he was playing at an extremely high level. And then all of a sudden, the receivers are, are starting to look around going, dude, this guy's 11 for 11 in the first half. You know, they want to make plays for him because they know that he's going to get more and more opportunities to throw as he keeps succeeding like this. And then they're excited because they're like, gosh, let's do this. And then you bring Moss back into the equation, and he's making plays where he breaks the tackle at the line of scrimmage and runs 91 yards. I mean, I think Utah's tough to stop right now. I mean, if they keep playing at this level, and I know it's Oregon State, and I know that you know you can make a ton of excuses, but that's still a Pac-12 football team. That's still a college football team, and they're they're coming out, and it feels like Utah's doing what they're supposed to do in each game. So you really don't give Alabama or Clemson a chance against the Utes, do you? Well, honestly, when 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 you have a quarterback playing at this kind of level, if if they can win out. Uh, I mean, hopefully they get in the playoff. I think they'll, they'll give both of those teams all kinds of problems. Okay, you realize I was joking, though, Riley, don't you? No, he doesn't. I realize that's what? I was joking with that one? No. I, I, <laughs> I'll tell you, no. 
I totally realized you were joking, and I and I upped your joke and oh, okay. said, okay, okay, "Okay, I think these guys actually could play with those teams. I'm not saying they wouldn't that those teams wouldn't have a chance, but oh, when you play enough. efficient football the way Utah <laughs> is playing, and you, and you can run the ball the way Utah's running the ball, and you and you have the defense that they've always had." I mean, that spells success in a championship-type format. So, yes, I knew you were joking, and I took your and I went with it. Man, Riley got his game face on this morning, didn't he? Instead of against it. That's, hey, that's why well, we pay him the big money, man. Bring it, Riles. Bring it. <laughs> He's coaching high school. Playoffs are right around the corner. It's time to play ball, man. That this a guy, kid. Geez, you got your fingers in yeah. the dirt right now, don't you? Hey, hey, no, well, I'll tell you what I'm. I'll tell you what I'm all face about is this stupid RPI, man. No wonder coaches in the in the college football are freaking kicked off all the time. The RPI is a joke. <laughs> he's, a, he, he's a little honorary this morning. I like it personally. Oh, I am, dude. I, am. I like I'm serious, it, man. That, the high school RPI is the biggest joke of a system I've ever heard of. But anyway, we'll, we'll save that for another, like, one-off RPI, RPI podcast somewhere that I can rant about. There you go. So I'm looking at today's football, you know, and I can recall speaking to Robbie Bosco telling me on multiple occasions when he got to BYU, he thought, all right, see you two years from now. And it had nothing to do with the church mission. It was as far as getting out on the field to be a starting quarterback. And we look at SC, we look at ASU, the kid actually in Arizona is a freshman. He's played well, pushing Tate. Why do you think freshmen, particularly first-year freshmen, are able to jump out on the field and have success when, in a bygone era, it wasn't even conceived that it would possibly happen? Mountain West Elite <laughs> Camp, that's the reason, isn't it, Riles? Mountain yeah, yeah, West absolutely. Elite Camp, absolutely. am I right? Mountain West Elite, yeah, let, let's, let's talk about that. No, here's what, I, here's what I think. First of all, I think high school coaches are doing a better job of running what the colleges are running. Especially I mean, the they, offensive they, coordinator they, at Alta, am I right? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That no, I'm not trying to give myself a pat on the back. I think that's true. Like all around the state of Utah, the teams that I see say playing see playing outside of the state of Utah, they're running major college concepts in high school. Then you throw in the fact that there is all of these camps and and, and like pylon seven on seven camps. Well, these kids are getting more reps than they've ever gotten before on being able to throw the ball around, understand where the moving parts are on the defense. And so they're just more college ready when they get there. And I think guys like Robbie Bosco and guys like Steve Young and, um, you know, you go down the list, all those guys were really, really good athletes. They just hadn't had enough reps when they were in high school of, of throwing the ball down the field. And once they got enough reps, they were ready to step in. And so – it is a different world, but I do think that there's still an adjustment. And I think part of the reason why freshmen are freshmen get to play a little bit more is some of these coaches are afraid they're going to leave, and they realize what kind of talent they are. But if, if you go down the list, and I'm talking about these freshman quarterbacks that are playing against Utah State, against BYU, and I mean, you look at Jaden Daniels, he's six of sixteen in the red zone with only one touchdown. Right? You look at. Hank Bachmeyer up at, at, at Boise State, he's a freshman. He's 8 of 27 in the red zone. And I don't know if Carson Strong's going to play or not for Nevada. He's kind of been in and out. But he's 11 for 27 in the red zone. So there's still there's adjustments. And if you look at Zach Wilson you know, at BYU and you look at his adjustment from freshman to this year and what his stats are in the red zone, there's still things that are still hard to do as a freshman. And so 
when you're talking about college football, it's still an advantage to have a senior quarterback starting. It's still a huge deal that Tyler Huntley is, you know, has had all of these experiences and can have that behind him to win football games. So although these freshmen are playing at a high level and they're completing high level, high percentage of passes, there's still things that they have to learn, like how to throw the ball in the red zone, how to finish out a game when you're in your four-minute offense, how to run a two-minute offense and, and be successful. So there's when you, when you look at these freshmen that are playing, they're playing really well within the context of the game, but there's certain situational parts of the game that they still struggle with. As Riley Jensen joining us, our college football insider. And if you didn't know, he is the Alta High offensive coordinator, and he does run the Mountain West Elite Camp. So He's the Alta male. That's what he is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Riley, never make that noise on the radio again, ever. Well, if you're the Alta male, you can. No. You hey, really, you, really you know what's, what's the drop that Jake plays all the time? <laughs> you are. <laughs> Give him my uh, Jaden Daniels Cajon High line. Jaden Daniels, the way he's playing, the way he's leading game winning drives at Michigan State, at home uh, against, uh, well, I guess also on the road at Cal. Yeah. And then uh, at home this past week, uh, you know, to pull out another win against Washington State. He didn't go to Cajon High, he went to Cajonas High. He's an alpha male. There it is. <laughs> All right, so all seriousness uh, aside, what, uh, what is Kyle Whittingham? What is Morgan Scally? You know those two are sitting down thinking, all right, we got a freshman quarterback here. It's a big game. How are we going to mess with this guy? What can we show him that he hasn't seen before and bait him into a couple of big mistakes? Well, I think, I, I mean, just based on the statistics that I told you, there's, there's – there's two things that are going on. So he only has 16 throws inside the red zone. That means the coaches for Arizona State realize that he's not great inside the red zone, so they're going to try and run the ball. I think inside the red zone, there's no question that they are going to load the box and they're going to make him throw the ball and make throws in the red zone against the University of Utah. That's, that's if they get there. And then I think the other key to the game, and I think, Everybody talks about third down conversions and they talk about, oh, you know, he completes 60% of his passes on third down, but that's usually a result of really the first down play. And so I think, I think what the University of Utah State is, is if we can play good, sound, fundamental football on first down, cause some completions, cause some confusion for him on first down, so they can't just, you know, get in you know, ahead of the chains type of thing then we're going to have a better chance when he's in third and 10, when he's in third and seven plus to be able to, to be able to make plays. Now, that doesn't mean that he hasn't made those plays. He's done a pretty good job, but the, the real win is on first down. Can you stop their run on first down? Can you stop them from getting a, a high percentage completion on first down and maybe make him go to his second and third reason? I think that's always key with a freshman quarterback. Freshman quarterbacks are usually pretty good because they can go from number one to number two. Freshman quarterbacks are not as good at getting to their number three read and really hurting you. So I think University of Utah will be trying to push him to his second and third reads on first down. And if they can win first down, it puts them in a good situation. Arizona State's a tough team. 
And Arizona State's a team that has always given the University of Utah problems. Count on Morgan Scally and and Kyle Whittingham, like really selling that that piece of information right there. Like this is a team that has given us problems, and we have got to play well this week. This is not a team that you can underestimate. They'll be selling the fact that they're ranked seventeenth, eighteenth in the country, and that you know they need to be ready to go. And I think it's not going to be hard to motivate right now. That's what's at stake, and I think I think you'll see the University of Utah play well this Saturday. So when you were talking about the red zone, you were talking about, you mentioned if they get there. I hadn't really yeah. thought of ASU not being able to get to the red zone against the Utes. And then you were talking playoffs earlier. Now, I picked the Utes to go 10-2 and at the start of the season. PK's now updated. He thinks 11-1 is in play and as likely as 10-2, and maybe even more likely than 10-2. and So you're talking to two guys who have a pretty high opinion of this team, but think, given that, that we don't have a high enough opinion of this team? No, I have a high opinion. I'm not, when I was saying if they get to the red zone, I wasn't saying that they won't score. I, Arizona State feels like a team that can score some points from outside oh, the okay. red zone. Okay, I see what you're getting. Yeah, so, right. so there might be some time. So I, I'm just saying I don't know how many, how many instances there's going to be where they're in the red zone. Okay. So this is a team that's exciting. University of Utah's team – plays really, really good, sound, fundamental man-to-man defense, but we've seen that every once in a while. I mean, USC took advantage of that man-to-man defense. And, you know, every single team in the Pac-12 has athletic wide receivers. So I think some of those guys could get away. Do I think Do I think that this team could go 11-1? Do I think they could make a run to the championship? If they play like they've played and if, if Moss can stay healthy and Huntley can stay healthy, yes. Absolutely. I think this is a team that could make a run and, and really make a run even into like a playoff scenario. Now, they're on the outside looking in at that, and there's some things that would have to fall their way for them to get there. But truthfully, when you're, when you're playing in these big conferences, when you're playing in a P5 conference, you have to think to yourself, I want to be playing championship-type football the, the, the RPI, the different things that come together for you, some of those things are out of your hands. But if you're playing championship football, that's all that you can do. And then you end up in the Rose Bowl and playing in the Rose Bowl and playing really well and winning the Rose Bowl, then then you say, hey, we've really built on where we were going. We were playing championship football. We feel like we could play with everybody in the country. It didn't work out as far as RPI. We slipped up early against USC. But this is a program that's going in the right direction, no question about it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I agree. Thank you, Riley. We appreciate it. All right, guys. There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider. When we come back, all the headlines. What is trending? And coming up at 730, the Utes, lucky foe two, the defensive lineman, the anchor in the middle, getting double teamed nonstop. He's on the way after what is trending right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.